This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger. I'm joined always by Billy Muzio. And today we're joined by a guy who I really like. I, I think he's a very, very sharp analyst. I don't like to throw that term out loosely, but Jacob is a very sharp guy. Jacob Sanderson is with us today. Uh, Jacob, welcome to First Class Fantasy. And why don't you tell everybody about the awesome work you're doing with your Substack, Thinking About Thinking, and any podcast or written stuff you want to talk about. Absolutely. Happy to be on. Uh, pumped for this. And yeah, the main source of my work now is Thinking About Thinking, which you can find just in my name, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Uh, and yeah, we have all sorts of stuff there. I have tended to do what I used to do when um, I was happily with Player Profiler, because I read a lot about Dynasty kind of up till the draft. And then I read a lot about best ball um, into the summer and probably August. I'll really turn up to the redraft high stake stuff. Um, so people play fantasy in almost any format. I'll probably have stuff for you there. Um, I've just finished out a series uh, going into a pretty deep dive on my 10 favorite uh, best ball tournament selections where they're at. Um, I'm going to have a new article coming out probably this weekend on some ways to take advantage of the current ADP market to create some unique leverage points and stacks. So uh, for anybody that's familiar with any of my work from player profile, a lot of long form theoretical pieces, try to think outside the box and pump to talk through um some of the some of the guys I think that I profiled recently on here on the show. Yeah, and your your hitchhiker's guide at the running back position was a great article. I always really enjoyed that one. Looking forward to what you're putting out. Why don't you share just a couple of these uh, your favorite best ball targets right now, just to get a little bit off subject? <laughs> For sure. So I'll talk. Um, we're going to talk about the running backs today. So maybe I'll save that. Save but, them. Uh, save them. But some of the some of the guys I've certainly been targeting. I talked a lot about. Um, Lamar Jackson in that article and it fits into my next article about the ADP analysis where like Lamar is going closer to Hertz and Allen than he is to Fields and Burrow but the opportunity cost is so different like this kind of feeds into what we'll talk about today but that group of running backs that goes in the late second early third on underdog and, and on FFPC as well where you're looking at Ramondre, Henry, Jacobs, Reese is just to me at least so much more appealing than the Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, Jameer Gibbs contingent 
that the opportunity cost totally flips between getting those top three quarterbacks, getting Lamar Jackson. And then I know a guy that uh, I certainly disagree with Billy on um, is I'm, I'm very into Martin Galing, Kyle Pitts this year. Um, I think he stands out as just one of the best shoot for the moon bets, especially in a tournament format. Um, I think we'll probably talk a little bit about the Atlanta offense today in the context of B. John Robinson. But that's that's another guy that I, I put my flag plant on this this article. I'll Love save the, I'll save the booze. I'll save them. <laughs> yeah, save save the booze. And and Billy, it's almost July first, so we're we're uh we're in like the real real deal time. So we've all like Jacob and me and you and and our listeners have been like really really grinding, getting after it. Best balls, underdog, FFPC. But I feel like people start like coming out of hibernation when July first comes along. It's like you have Canada Day, Jacob. And then Fourth of July, so it's like the the July first or July fourth. Those two days really like people for some reason. It's like wake up time for them when they when they start really paying attention. But uh, we're close to Las Vegas, Billy. I mean, you can we are. We're, we're not that far off from getting to those FFPC drafts. When are when are you guys going to be in Vegas? I land Wednesday before Week One, so Thursday because I do a few drafts on Wednesday. I'll see you guys there. That's and awesome. We drafts like three times a day from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and nice. then. Sunday, we just wake up and watch football all day. And, and I won't be doing that much, but I'm I'm going to be doing a couple of mains in Vegas that weekend. That's like my that'll be my last weekend before I start full time at uh, my job after the bar exam. So I'll be I'll be jumping down for a quick uh, quick little celebration and then heading back and I'll be drafting some teams. So nothing better than than a main event live. It's it's just tremendous. Um, and uh, we're definitely going to uh, talk about this running back position. There's a deep dive today. We're going to hit a number of players. We're going to go very, very deep. We're going to help you win your league this year. Uh, definitely, if you listen to the show, you're going to be very prepared at the running back position. But first, a word from our sponsors at the FFPC. Hey, you know, people always ask me, what's the World Series of Fantasy? What's the Super Bowl of Fantasy? And it's easy. It's the FFPC. Their signature players championship has a $6 million prize pool. And their best ball leagues start in February. And they're the answer to so many questions. Hey, what's the best place to get a Dynasty Orphan? Well, you can adopt a Dynasty Orphan at the FFPC right now. There's more orphans at the FFPC than anywhere else on the internet. That's why we partner with them. So if you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, you love Dynasty, you love best ball, you love seasonal leagues, all types of fantasy footballers need to go to the FFPC and remember Use promo code UNDERWORLD. Promo code UNDERWORLD gets you $25 off your first team. Promo code UNDERWORLD, $25 off your first team, no matter what the format is, at the FFPC. Go get it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, 
everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Almost got me, Billy. Almost. <laughs> so, so guys, the running back position, it's super interesting. Like, nobody wants mm-hmm. to talk about it. We had Josh Larkey on for wide receivers. That would have been a show that Jacob, I'm sure, would have loved to talk wide receivers with us for like an hour and a half. But the running back position is interesting this year because you have a clear-cut 101 in Justin Jefferson. A wide receiver is going off the, off the top of the board almost every draft. There's some arguments for Jamar Chase. You have Travis Kelsey locked into the top five and definitely an FFPC and going very highly in underdog, NFFC, FFWC. I mean, you name it. Any format, Travis Kelsey's been, the price is maybe over-adjusted from last year in non-tight end premium. Then you also have the factor that you have quarterbacks being pushed up. The early quarterback has created these value pockets for the running back position. So it's like the position that we all need running back production on our rosters. But it's kind of the the position that's been kind of pushed back a little bit this year in terms of like really having to grind and, and identify values. So today we're going to attempt to do so. And first, let's start at the very top. Christian McCaffrey is being selected in the top three in most formats right now. But how do you gauge him versus Jefferson, Chase and Kelsey? And do you have any concerns about like Elijah Mitchell being a not really a threat, but more of kind of a headache from preventing him from having smash games. Jacob, your thoughts on Christian McCaffrey at ADP? Well, I'll just set the table for what I think is like the overarching theme of everything running backs this year, which is every single time that you log into your draft room, the best click on the board looks like a running back, which is just the theme of 2023, right? We see coming off a great zero RB year, wide receiver scarcity is really taking effect in these draft rooms. People are rising up the board to a large degree. People want to attack the onesie positions. We've seen such stability at the high end of quarterback. You mentioned what's going on with tight end. And so running backs are really being underpriced relative to projection. And at the same time, that doesn't mean you want to draft five running backs in your first seven rounds. So you sort of create this self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, you have some people saying wide receivers are a bad pick at this price, but they they can't all be. You still need to draft them. So it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where even if they're a bad pick, it's a good pick. So which forces you, I think, to be really picky about the running backs this year, because there's so many options where I think you're getting a running back you like at a base projection that you need to make, you need to figure out, like, when am I taking these detours to go and attack that position? And that type of difficult decision making starts right away in the top five picks. Um, I have not been drafting much Christian McCaffrey this year because I, I just see four wide receivers off the rip that to me project so much better than any of the other wide receivers. You're only getting them if you're getting a top six pick. And then the big issue for me structurally is I want every running back at the two, three turn, right? And I see a much larger gap between some of the running backs we'll talk about soon, like a Pollard, a Barkley, a Henry, and some of the wide receivers that go around there than I do McCaffrey versus Hill, Cup, Jefferson, Chase. So I've been fading Christian McCaffrey, which is always terrifying to do when you're fading a guy who probably has the highest ceiling in all of fantasy. But I do think he always has the fragility of just being a running back as the added fragility of being a fairly old running back. Plus add in, you know, the fact that he's had a pretty lengthy injury history. And then for the first time in McCaffrey's career ever, you have to factor in workload split concerns. In that stretch towards the end of the season, when Elijah Mitchell was healthy 
and Christian McCaffrey was healthy, they both averaged the exact same amount of carries. Um, and Christian McCaffrey can be the RB1 in that type of workload split, but I don't think that he's going to gap himself from Cup, Hill, Jefferson, Chase to the extent where I would want to go running back there when I think I can get pretty similar median projection out of the wide receivers. I think it's better structurally, and you're probably taking less injury risk. Billy, it's interesting because Christian McCaffrey is your RB1 overall uh, in your running back rankings, but we haven't seen a running back this late in his career finish as the RB1 overall. I think you got to go back to like LaDainian Tomlinson. Certainly, if you go back the last 20 years, we've seen year six running backs hit the mark. Jamal Charles, Austin Eckler last year, but we haven't seen a seventh year guy. Does that concern you at all with McCaffrey or is his, his playing style kind of alleviate your concerns where it's 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 heavily based on his receiving work less so than just needing to be a Derrick Henry like grinder yeah I think his versatility will will continue to prop up his fantasy scores uh, especially on this Niners offense that is going to continue to utilize him in in that capacity um, on top of it we have the quarterback uncertainty in the Niners back in the Niners uh, quarterback room which is their quarterback adds, uncertainty yeah <laughs> I mean, I don't I think, think it's quarterback uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, it has to be Purdy, but I yeah, think which is great think, for McCaffrey. Which is great for McCaffrey, but either way you look at it, it and I've this is why he's my RB one is either way you slice and dice it, whether it is Purdy, whether it is Darnold, whether it is Lance, all those quarterbacks are going to favor the outlet at the running back position when they get in trouble, when they get pressure, when they're inside of a jam. That's why I think we're going to have another big year for McCaffrey. This is going to be that outlet for those inexperienced quarterbacks. And or we're going to see the offense click like it did with Brock Purdy. You know, to the same regard, that's why I'm higher on Debo again this year than I was last year. And so I think that we have a lot of different ways that this offense could look. But either way, it is it's going to be favoring Christian McCaffrey. Either way, you slice and dice it, at least until his body does break down. To take they did utilize Elijah Mitchell a lot down the stretch. But if you actually go in and, and take a look closer at the snaps and the scores, it directly correlated with them in big leads like they were up 38 to 13 versus the Cardinals they were up 41 to 23 versus the Seahawks 37 to 20 versus the Commanders and so when they had that lead they gave Christian McCaffrey a little breather I think because they needed him fresh throughout the playoffs so there is at least some sort of ease of concern in regards to Mitchell's touches during that stretch because it can be correlated to those blowout games nonetheless I don't think that Mitchell's going to be able to hold up. We've already seen him already in preseason with, with another injury. He just seems to be nicked all the time and consistently has um, that downside to him. I think he can be explosive. If he could stay healthy, then he could be a real threat, I think, to Christian McCaffrey. But I think either way you look at it, they're both going to be involved. I still think that the volume that McCaffrey is going to see is going to be you know much better than a lot of other running backs in the league because it's going to be both in the passing game and inside of the running game. He's probably one of two backs that are going to see 100 targets inside the NFL. He's certainly my RB1, too. My only argument is him versus the wide receivers. Uh, I, if I'm taking a running back in the top five, it's certainly Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, We'll talk and about I, that for a second, because I'll go to back to both of you guys on this. You've drafted a lot. You bring up a structure, and I think that this is something that, that high-level drafters often think about structure with their first pick. It's kind of like a sliding doors thing. If you draft a wide receiver here, it opens you up to this. If you draft a running back here, it opens you up to this. If you draft Christian McCaffrey at the 103, 
are you confident that you can make up for it at the wide receiver position down the line? Billy and Jacob. Jacob, maybe take it first. Because I feel well, like you're, you bring up those, those wide receivers, and you're basically passing on not only Chase and Jefferson, you're passing up on Tyreek <laughs> Hill, you're passing up on Cooper Cup, and then you get priced out of a lot of those really attractive round two wide receivers if you go in that direction. So in theory, yes, you could make up for it. It's just the way that the board aligns. Like I sort of talked about off the top, I think running back always looks like a better projected pick. But the one pocket of the draft for me, at least, and maybe everybody has a different pocket, where the gap is largest between the running backs and the wide receivers, both from a base case and from a ceiling, is at the 2-3 turn. That's where I most want to be clicking running backs more than anywhere else on the whole board. And, and if not running backs, I'm, I'm interested in some of the quarterbacks there once the running backs go. I don't want to be clicking those wide receivers at all. So it's just tough because where you're set up, if I take McCaffrey in the first, I'm probably not taking a wide receiver that I'm really happy to select where they're coming off the board until round four. So I, I'm then kind of either forced to reach for a wide receiver that I don't think is a particularly compelling pick in one of my next two picks. Or I'm staring down the barrel of, you know, Terry McLaurin as my wide receiver one. And that, that just feels extraordinarily unsettling. And it, and it takes out any flexibility that you have really to work through rounds five, six, seven. So like you talk about where Bijan and Eckler go, you know, that's an easier click for me to take the running back round one because you're coming back round two. You have a nice safety net of wide receivers there, be it Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave, Jalen Waddle. I'm comfortable. I'm going to get a wide receiver I like at that point. And then probably those running backs I really, really love in round two and three are going to be gone by the end of the third round. So I'm probably still just continuing to click wide receivers. Um, so that's really just a structural issue for me is I find it so easy to get buried at wide receiver drafting early. And, and I, I'm just willing to sacrifice McCaffrey because of that. Billy, any, anything to add to that? Or, or you're pretty much on, on the same page? I, I, think, I think it just depends upon one, like how much, how risk adverse you are or what your risk tolerance is. Because I feel like if you're doing the volume, you're going to want exposure to all these guys, right? If you're doing five drafts, 10 drafts, okay, go out and select your receivers if you want to take a running back later. There's no, I don't think, I'm not going to argue with that either way. But I think bottom line is you can build a roster any way you want. And especially at the beginning of these first three rounds, it's going to determine what your roster is really going to look like. But the biggest thing you need to do is just get creative, right? Jacob said he likes to hit those, those two running backs on two, three turn. To me, that's so chalky that there's going to be, you know, at least an underdog. There's probably going to be 100 to 200,000 of those builds inside underdog, right? We're going to 677,000 entrants inside the Best Ball Mania 4. And so how many people are taking those two, three running backs where I would like to get a little bit more unique, right? And I'll maybe push up a running back that is going at the end of round three, maybe the beginning of round four. Or I'll create some different unique situations because I don't want to be the same as 50, 100,000 people. And so, again, it breaks down to how risk adverse you are and what your tolerance is for risk because you are going against the grain. You're going against ADP, you know, and you may be taking a tier down. But, you know, we're talking about maybe 10, 15 fantasy points in projections. And so at the end of the season, Look where Josh Jacobs was going last year. Look where he finished. You know, there's there's possibilities for anyone outproducing their ADP. So I think when we look at these, Jacob hit you know the hammer on the nail, or I always mess up that saying. But it, however you're going to do it, it really depends upon where you're selecting the first few rounds 
And then from there, you've got to get creative afterwards because we're not going to get that creative with our round one pick. But round two, round three, round four, that's where you can start creating these unique combinations that other people don't have. So guys, to move on now, uh, great stuff on Christian McCaffrey, but there's a lot of running backs to cover. Right now, you have a unique situation where Austin Eckler, who was finished as RB2 overall and RB1 overall the last two seasons, is going neck and neck with B. John Robinson. Uh, I love B. John Robinson. I'm ahead of B. John Robinson than Billy is. Where are you, Jacob, on Eckler versus Robinson? And follow up with where you're comfortable selecting B. John Robinson. I'm taking Robinson between them. Um, I think B. John Robinson... Not my RB1, but he, he to me, is the safest running back on the board, which is in first time you might hear me say that. It sounds kind of crazy to say that about a rookie. But round one rookie running backs are, are just an extraordinarily safe volume bet. And the exceptions to that are basically Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was not a, anywhere in the stratosphere of Bichon Robinson in terms of a prospect quality. You even look at running backs who turned out to be, let's say, not extraordinarily talented, such as a Najee Harris. Um, you know, you even go back to a Trent Richardson, they still got absolutely fed in their first year in the league. So I don't have any concerns about B. John Robinson's workload. Uh, I'm not concerned about Tyler Algier siphoning a material amount of carries away from, from B. John Robinson. I think the question is whether, of whether he not be becomes like a 17, 18 points per game back that's okay at the one two turn versus he's the RB1 overall and pushing to be one of the most important pieces in fantasy is just how much receiving workload he gets and how effective the Atlanta offense is. I'm, I'm quite optimistic on the effectiveness of the Atlanta offense. I think that they have three phenomenal skill position players. They have a coach who I know everybody likes to make fun of in the fantasy community because he ran the ball so much, but he's a fantastic play designer. Like he can create efficient, he can create efficient offense with not that much of an offensive background to work with. What he was able to do in Tennessee for a couple of years, creating some of the most efficient offenses in the league with Ryan Tannehill and basically two NFL caliber receiving weapons. And Derrick Henry is kind of similar to the task that he has in front of him here. If Desmond Ritter can at least be somewhere in the realm of league average, Um, they were able to create extraordinarily efficient rushing designs for Tyler Algier. And and I think Tyler Algier is good, but one of the caution flags I think you could have pointed to with Algier coming off his rookie season is, Okay, he's been super efficient. You know, he's lighting up your rush yards over expectation. He's cleaning up in every PFF category. And look who else is doing that. Caleb Huntley, Porter L. Patterson. It's like, is it what's more likely that Atlanta found a fifth round running back, a UDFA, and a converted wide receiver kick returner? And it turns out that they're three of the most effective rushers in the league, or that this guy knows what he's doing and his offensive line is pretty good. I think it's probably the latter. So I think we're going to see just otherworldly efficiency from Robinson, tons of volume. And, and, and I think there's upside for a decent amount of usage in the receiving game with a quarterback and Ritter who's not going to be scrambling as often as Marcus Mariota. Billy, he's a unicorn. Can you accept it? Bijan Robinson is here, Billy, and you got you got to move him up, man. And I'll say one interesting thing uh, that I heard this week, and I'll give a shout out to Adam Levitan, my guest next week on press coverage, is there's some internal uh, comparisons in the Atlanta organization to like Debo Samuel when he was at his mm. peak in certain ways, they're going to get Bijan the ball. So I think you bring up the, the running back one overall. If you're going to take a guy there, you want him to finish RB one overall and you need that 20 points per game. It makes a, it sounds like a small difference, 17 versus 20, but that's a huge difference when it comes to the money weeks down the stretch where you could see Bijan Robinson 
being used all over the field. And I think 300 touches is not me exaggerating. But I'm curious, Jacob, where do you have him in terms of your reception prediction for him? Because I think he's going to, if he's going to finish RB1 overall, he's got to give you 65 receptions. Yeah, I think that that's certainly on the high end. I wouldn't project that, but I don't think it's impossible. I do think Atlanta is going to pass a lot more than the market does. I'm projecting to pass about 30 times per game. That's not actually a lot in the context of an NFL offense. That would probably mean they're somewhere around the bottom five of pass attempts. But I think historically, banking on a team to be otherworldly outlier-ish in any facet, be that efficiency or volume for multiple years running, is is not typically what happens. I think that people are somewhat somewhat not grasping just how big of a gap there is between Atlanta's offense last year and Chicago's offense last year and a typical lowest pass volume in the league offense. Like the difference between them last year and like Titans level, Arthur Smith Titans level pass volume is almost the same as the lowest pass volume team in the league in a normal year and probably around the 10th highest pass volume team in the league in a normal year. So I expect that they're still going to be a run-heavy team. I just think they're going to be a normal NFL team, not a prehistoric NFL team. So I expect them to be probably in the neighborhood of 500 pass attempts overall. Um, I think in terms of a target share for Bijan Robinson, I would expect in the neighborhood of probably 60 to 65 targets. Um, and so receptions, you know, you can come in and around between 40 and 50, um, I think is my median projection. But there's also a lot of fragility in this offense. Like if Kyle Pitts or Drake London was to suffer an injury, they don't have anybody else. And, and you could see B. John Robinson just getting fed repeatedly on screens too. That 500 was Arthur Smith year one in Atlanta. Um, you know, people talk about last year, how low the pass attempts were. If they just get back to where he was in 2021, that would be a win for Kyle Pitts, London and Robinson. Billy pushed back on Austin Eckler versus B. John Robinson, Billy. So it's funny because Jacob mentioned 30 passes per game, which is pretty much what I have Atlanta projected for. I have them for uh, 498 attempts. 30 would be 510 to be exact. (laughs) If we gave him the 65 total targets, that's roughly 12.5% of the target share, um, which would not equate to 60 receptions based upon the math of the... And so that's the part that is holding me back with Bijan Robinson. I think he's going to be heavily involved on the ground. I think he'll be involved in the passing game. It just breaks down to volume and the amount that this offense passes. Uh, we saw how much they ran last year. We expect them to pass more. This is why we gave them a bump in this category and this efficiency. You know, Jacob even just mentioned that that number himself. That's exactly where we have him at. And, and yeah. that was with an increase in pass attempts. Um, bottom line, it's just volume. And so if we knew this offense was going to pass 550 times, 560 times, I think you could make a real argument to have Bijan as RB2. I have him inside of the projections right now as RB number eight. And What do you have for him carries-wise? So carries is 263. I think that's so low. Rushing attempts. Like, is that projecting 17 healthy games? No, it is not projecting 17 okay. healthy games. Okay. Okay. That is why. Fair and enough. so I, I don't ever project running backs for a full 17 games. Like that, I believe, is on a 15-game projection. Mm-hmm. Um, which okay, is still, you know, still a little lower than probably maybe 270, but I still have him for 300 touches. It just breaks down to the passing numbers. We saw, what is it, three running backs, I believe, last year that were over 300 fantasy points, and they either made it by over 100 targets or they had it with double-digit touchdowns and 1,200 rushing yards, which I think yeah. is within the realm of possibility for Bijan. <laughs> but it's going to be an uphill battle in the passing game. And so if we knew that he could get 60 catches, 60 catches, I think would at least now 
put him into the top five or four, but you're going to need probably 70 plus maybe even to be sniffing that range. And so I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying he's more Nick Chubb than he is Austin Eckler or Christian McCaffrey. I'm fully with you on the reception side of it. Like, I don't think I would have it projected very differently. I think maybe the slight differences are, I I think he's going to see a a lot of rushing volume. I think he's entirely possible that he hits close to 20 rushing attempts per game. And I think he's going to score about a million touchdowns. Desmond Ritter is not the goal line rushing threat that Marcus Mariota was. I think he's going to be their primary force inside the 10. Don't expect him to split goal line work. And I think Atlanta's going to win a lot of games. They have the easiest schedule in the NFL this year. They, they have an absolute cakewalk through the NFL. And I think they're going to be in games. We know that as they're in games, they're going to want to use the run, especially towards the goal line. So how much are you anticipating you? Algier just to vanish? Because people are thinking Entirely. like... So that's that's the down that's that's the part that I think people are missing is he had a thousand rushing yards last season. It's not like he's they don't give fully, a he's not gonna fully go away. He's still gonna see twenty-five to thirty percent of the rushing share. I don't there, think so. There it, when you talk about the amount of carries on the ground, that's only 140-ish carries. And so Bijan at 53% of the rushing share on 15 games is like I said, 263 attempts. Let's just put that even closer to 300. They're still going to be roughly 120, 150 carries on the board because Bichon's Bichon's not getting 400 plus carries. It's not going to happen. Right? I, I mean, to me, Algier, to me, Algier's workload is less dependent on Bichon's workload, and it's more dependent on how close they are to last year as a rushing offense. Like, if they decide they want to have 500 carries to running backs, then Tyler Algier is going to get plenty of work because, like you said, Bichon's not going to get 400. But if they're a more balanced team, to me, Bijan's going to get all he can handle and Algier's going to get the spillover. And just how large that spillover is, is, is dependent on how much they run as a team. Like if we're talking about they have 30 rushing attempts to running backs every game, which I hope they don't, because then Pitts and London are mega dead. But I say, if that's what they want to do, yeah. right, if that's what they want to do, then sure, Algier can have 10 carries a game. If, but I, I just don't think that Algier's stopping Bijan from threatening 20 per game. Like I... I like Tyler Algier. I think he's a good player. If I was Arthur Smith, I would not have selected B. John Robinson eighth overall. But the fact that they did tells me like they're going to load him up. I, we yeah, just, we I have Algier for eight eight rushing attempts again, and I think that's pretty realistic, right? Because we're not going to see Bijan on the field 100% of snaps. They're still going to mix in Tyler Algier. They're still going to mix in Cordell Patterson, who will probably be more involved in the passing game than anything. I think he's their wide receiver too. Yeah, he very well could be, right? Um, and so... That's where my hesitation is Bijan is because Patterson is still a great pass catching back because he's been a receiver. And so something has to give in this offense. We can't have wide receiver one pits or wide receiver, wide receiver one Drake London. We can't have tight end one pits. We can't have RB one Bijan, not in this offense. If it's completely the consolidation though, Billy, because Jacob references the lack of weapons. I think that there is a possibility there that, they do they do have enough there that that I, I'll say not all three can smash, but I think you can have two big time winners and one that's okay to draft. My bet would be that one of the two pass catchers ends up really helping teams this year in terms of win rates. And I think Bijan Robinson helps teams in win rates. But I don't think the Pitts London loser is gonna hurt you. It's probably just gonna be a little bit more of a purgatory player. 
I think it depends on what Desmond Ritter is capable of because the the way that they all hit is you look at the 2020 is it 2020 or the 2019 I think it's the 2020 Titans where you have Derrick Henry top three running back and then you have AJ Brown top five or top six wide receiver and Corey Davis winds up being a top 24 wide receiver that year of course if you're a top 24 wide receiver and you play tight end that's that's going to be quite valuable to you we saw all this volume consolidated on them because the thing about that, that Arthur Smith has always done, he did it in Tennessee, he does it in Atlanta, is every pass play, there's a bunch of goofs on the field that aren't contributing, right? Like you have fullbacks, you have blocking tight ends, you have wide receivers that are, are just there. Because so many, so much of their passing game, they had the highest rate of run pass options, making up a lot of their passing attempts. When you're having those RPO routes, it's never going to Alameda Zacchaeus, right? It's going to whoever's the first read target, which is always going to be Pitts or London, or it's a handoff. So the, the opportunity for Pitts and London to crest well over a 50% target share exists in this offense because of how they run it more than it does in other offenses where quarterbacks are dropping back and they're reading the field. Here, it's, it's just a lot, of, it, it's a lot of ornamentation around three players. That's how the offense is designed. They need to be efficient because those guys like Davis and A.J. Brown were super, super efficient in Tennessee. And if Desmond Ritter sucks, then they're not going to be efficient. But I think if we have any ability to believe in Ritter, then we can paint a picture for how everybody hits here um, because you're going to see really high market shares. You're going to see really high yards per route run that's inflated because you're going to have so much 12 personnel and 13 personnel sets. Jacob, really quickly, I know Billy's bullish on him and I like him as well, but where are you at on Austin Eckler in a range you're comfortable of drafting him? Not taking him. Um, 28 years old. Um, I think he's he's never been a particularly... Uh, well, not never, but as of as of recent times, he's he's not been a particularly effective rusher. Um, I think we're relying on a lot of receiving, and I, and I don't think that 100 targets to Austin Eckler is a good way to run an NFL offense. Like I, I think that was a big reason why their offense was bad. We get Kellen Moore in now, who I mean Tony Pollard, I think, is an exceptional receiving threat. They didn't use him frequently um, out of the backfield. They preferred to push the ball down the field, um, uh, be aggressive on third downs, uh, and they decided to offer pass blocking over pass receiving and Tony Pollard. So I think Austin Eckler has a lot of fragility risk, both just as a player and his age and with the new offense. And I, I haven't taken him. I uh, want to keep going here. We'll start with Billy on this one. Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor are both being selected close to the one, two turn. And more often than not, I'm seeing these guys going in the early second round more so than the first. Are hmm, they exceptional yeah. values here? Or are these guys where, Billy, when it when push comes to shove and the money's on the table, you're going with, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, AJ Brown, Garrett Wilson, CD Lamb, or are you thinking about pulling the trigger on one of these two guys? I just prefer the receiver in this range. Um, just because I have a real tight knit group inside the projections between Barkley, JT, Stevenson, Chubb, and Henry, right? Where I know that I can get those guys you know, half around to around later, even at, at times. And so I tend to just to favor the receivers in this point, just because of the upside and the amount of targets that they're all going to see. Totally agree with Billy. I think when you're looking at Barkley, you're looking at Taylor and I'll extend Chubb to this. I think you're looking at uh, probably even a lower ceiling and a similar median to the next group of running backs. All you're getting with them is you're probably getting a higher floor because you, you know that they're going to get all the rushing attempts, you're going to get all the touches. But I, I think it would be really hard to design a projection to get, Taylor in this offense up over 20 points per game. And of course we have years of evidence that Nick Chubb is very unlikely to hit that level of ceiling. 
Um, and I mean, what could what could go better for Saquon Barkley than last year? They made the entire offense of Saquon Barkley, and he had less than 18 points per game. I, I just struggle to see the legendary ceiling. Um, and with the wide receiver squeeze, I'm, I'm clicking St. Brown, Wilson, Waddle, and, and Chris Olave. I agree with you guys on Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is a fade for me at ADP. I worry about, like, people talk about, like, the the rushing quarterback is going to unlock Taylor. I don't see it like that. He's now next to a guy who's a goal line threat. Every time they're inside the red zone, Anthony Richardson is a threat to, to get. But they're bringing the, the tush push over from Philly. For all we know, that was Steichen's play. There you go. They, I know you are a big Indianapolis Colts fan yeah. as well, Jacob. And I know you're thrilled about Anthony Richardson. So hats off to you on that. But I will push back a little bit on Barkley. I think that the Giants offense could take a step forward this year. I'm not completely out on Barkley. I'd like to see him a little like around. I know it sounds like a micro uh, difference, but I would prefer him around like 15, 16 than I would 12, 13. Um, but I do think that he has the ability to outscore what he did last year, because I think the Giants offense is going to take a step forward. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we see these coaches in year two just take a step forward. And, and I think Brian Dable with one year under the belt with Daniel Jones. I mean, I know they added Darren Waller. Um, and they've added a couple of, you know, not so exciting wide receivers at the end of the day, it's still Saquon's offense. So I'll push back a little on that one, but I do like the, I do agree with you on the Nick Chubb. He might be the most overdrafted guy. Now, Billy and I, we, we were talking about him months ago, Billy, as such a value where he was being drafted. Now he's mid second. It's like the, the, the whole world is on the Cleveland offense right now. And Nick Chubb is the Mm -hmm. biggest beneficiary. Let's talk about this tier of running back, Nick Chubb. Let's throw him in there with Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry, Ramondre Stevenson, and Josh Jacobs. Which of these players are you most excited about this year, Billy? I could say it again. It's Chubb, Pollard, Derrick Henry, Ramondre Stevenson, and Josh Jacobs. They're in a close enough tier. Pollard and the Boomer Squad is basically that's it. (laughs) Well, is Ramondre Stevenson quite the Boomer Squad? Oh, Stevenson, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's, twenty-five years old. Give him a break. Ramondre Stevenson is the most unlikely hero of the spreadsheet socialists. Like he runs like a (laughs) four-eight, and he plods along, but we love him. So these are all within like five fantasy points inside my projection. This is that tier I was just talking about. It's very, very, very tight, and so. We're talking about one touchdown that could be the difference between either of these guys being the top of this group. Uh, As it stands today, I lean for upside, and it's going to be Tony Pollard, just because there are so many vacated touches in this backfield, and they have yet to add anybody. I still do expect they'll probably add a veteran of some sort, at least in in camp, and as they kind of let these rookies and and, and second-year players unfold. But I don't think that we're going to get, you know, a a 100% pure backfield to Tony Pollard. I think he has the ability to be the RB1 this year in the NFL with the upside that he has. We saw how electric he was in a reduced capacity last year. We expect that to increase. Um, you know, He hasn't yet to go for over 200 rushing attempts, even with how active he was last year, only at 193. So I lean Pollard here, but it's very tight. I mean, as much as I like Ramondre Stevenson, you always have concerns with anyone in New England, but Ramondre Stevenson would probably be number two in this group for me just because of his involvement in the passing game as well. He was RB3 last year in targets with 89. I mean, that's a sneaky number that most people mm-hmm. overlook with Stevenson. And I think if they do add DeAndre Hopkins, it probably helps him in, in the passing game. It's going to open up the field a little bit, and so it's going to open up some running lanes. And so I think that he would still be heavily used inside the passing game. 
and also have a little bit more running lanes to produce. So I'd say Pollard and then Ramondre Stevenson. Jacob, where are you at? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I like all of these guys. I, I do like to be a little bit overweight on all of them. And and part of the reason why I'm I'm drafting so often these Billy was talking about earlier about sort of the commonality of people going running back, running back at this turn. Part of the reason I'm willing to do that is because there's so many different options. It's not like I'm always doing Paul Ramondre or whatever. Like even my least favorite of these guys, I'd like to be roughly even with the market on. But I think Ramondre and Jacobs are are tougher for me. And Ramondre seems especially risky between the two of them. Just they don't accumulate fantasy points in the most efficient ways. They don't play on particularly um, excellent offenses. They're not particularly explosive. So you're really relying on them basically dominating every touch in every situation for them to have that legendary ceiling. And it's just difficult when you're drafting a guy like you draft from Andre Stevenson, three plays into your fantasy season, you could know that you drafted a dud. Like if it's third and eight and Ty Montgomery jumps on the field, you're like, fuck, I just drafted a round six player at the end of round two. Like it's just over at that point. I'm sorry, it's over. Um, like that's that's just really challenging, I think. With Pollard, he's the guy that I go with, not just because he's my favorite player ever, but I just think you have more outs with him. We already saw with Tony Pollard, like last year, he was clearly the one B-back for the first half of the season. You got a couple weeks as the undisputed workhorse. And then he took over as pretty clearly the 1A down the stretch. And in that whole season, with Zeke still around for all but two weeks of it, he was the RB7. And he was the 16th highest scoring non-quarterback. He's drafted now as the RB7 and is the 21st highest scoring non-quarterback. So to me, even if Zeke Elliott signed there tomorrow, I think his price is perfectly fine. And if Ezekiel Elliott doesn't sign there, I think that he is in a class above these guys. I would rank him as high as RB4 at that point. I mean, I agree Like that probably there's a point of diminishing returns with Tony Pollard and that we're not getting the same most efficient running back in the NFL if he has 290 carries. I don't think we're going to see him get 290 no. carries. But it, there's no... This isn't a case like a DeAndre Swift where you can point to things and say, okay, he's really good at some things and he has these fatal flaws in other areas. Any touch that Tony Pollard has gotten in any situation, he's crushed. He's been great on inside. He's been great outside. He's faced high box counts. He had the eighth highest average defenders in the box last year, remained incredibly efficient, efficient on early downs, efficient in the passing game. So I just, I reject that Tony Pollard is a specialist. I think he's, he's undersized. And so he's probably limited to some extent in terms of how much he can handle. But I think that he can function as an all situations running back. And I don't think that we've pressed the point of diminishing returns yet. And I'll add this. He averaged 17 touches per week from weeks 11 through 16 last year, which is from when Zeke came back to Tony Pollard eventually getting injured and missing that game in Tennessee. Average over 20 points per game during that time, playing roughly 57% of the snaps. So I think whether Zeke is back, you know, that's probably his ceiling. That's still an extraordinarily high ceiling. And I don't think that's super, super different from what it would be if it's just Malik Davis and Ronald Jones. Like they had 290 touches that went to non-Pollard running backs last year. I don't think he's that squeezed. Yeah, Zeke think, coming back is probably the best thing for him, in my opinion. Yeah, it like, would be a known a known commodity and an older player, and it would be yeah. clearly Pollard. I think that one one devil's advocate argument on Pollard volume is Pollard has only had about 550 career carries. So there's no previous tread on the tire. There's coming off the injury. But it, by all accounts, he's back. Uh, to me, it's more of a two, 225 carries sounds about right. But it's can he get up to that absurd target level? Can he get right. 80 targets this year? 
And I think if they do self-scouting and they want to beat the Philadelphia Eagles this year, then Dallas is going to need to use Tony Pollard out of the backfield as the receiver as much as possible. I think that is the big X factor where can Pollard be the league winner out of the third round? And I think it's interesting, Jacob, you bring up how dusty this tier is. We had last year, you know, people love going back to the well in fantasy football. When something happens really well last year, we think this year it's going to happen again. And dead the dead zone, the term has almost disappeared this year because the dead zone backs all hit last year. But this is like, you know, Nick Chubb, where he's going, that starts getting a little dead zoning. Josh Jacobs is absolutely the definition of a dead zone guy. He had the most touches in the NFL last year. His ADP has overcorrected to an extreme amount. Um, there's a number of very risky guys in this in this tier. Which of these players are you most worried about slash least excited to draft? Start with Jacob. Um, I mean, most worried about my answer for that has to be Derrick Henry. Um, he is an ancient man on a offense that I think is going to be starting Nick Westbrook Akine in two wide receiver sets on purpose. So that's bad. Um, and and you, you just see the bottom drop out because if, if Henry is just not like a, a particularly high level NFL running back anymore, he, he has to do everything himself. He always has. He doesn't have any sort of support system in place. that's going to help him be efficient anymore. So he's all on his own. And it would not surprise me really if he just came out and it was like late career Edger and James and he's averaging 3.2 yards per carry because there's nothing to sustain him if he fails. That being said, I do draft some Henry because he has that demonstrated ceiling. It's four straight seasons, over 19 PPR points per game. The guy I'm least excited to draft, I think, is Josh Jacobs just because the Oakland offense is probably not going to be particularly inspiring. He had a great season last year, obviously, league winner season. Still did not hit 20 points per game. And that was despite getting literally every carry, like every single touch and every single carry and every single reception. Like that's just so unlikely to occur again. I have to think they're going to get something out of some other back or else he's just going to spontaneously combust. Because even Derrick Henry, like he doesn't play every single third down. He at least gets to go and like drink some Gatorade every now and again. Like what they asked Jacobs to do last year was ungodly. And he produced a superhuman effort. But at this cost, it doesn't even completely bury you. Like I, I think he has zero chance of being like a 23 point per game running back. And so that's the guy I'm probably most going to fade. But I still think it is base case. He's, he's a pretty good bet. Like I think all these guys are, man. Like once, once Chris Olave goes off the board, he's the line of demarcation for me. Yeah. This is Chris Olave off the board. Like I, I'm sorry, but T Higgins is not outscoring. Whichever of this tier of running back stays healthy is outscoring T Higgins and Devontae Smith. They are. Like it's it's just happening. So I, I I don't know. It's just tough for me to to not want to invest a little bit across the board here. I would love to 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 dive into the T. Higgins, Devonta Smith uh debate, Jacob. Um, but we gotta keep going. Uh Billy, which of these running backs is the is the most risky and the one that you want the least of this year? It's Josh Jacobs. I agree with everything Jacob said. I mean, we look at what he did last year, he had 340 rushing attempts, 50 receptions. Everything had to go wrong in Vegas for it to go right for Josh Jacobs. I don't expect that to happen again. We expect to probably see a little bit more out of the RB2 this year inside this backfield um, than we did last year was non-existent. Uh, and I, I don't think that we're going to have as efficient of an offense. I don't think we're going to have as many pass plays or as many total plays in this offense either. Um, I have a lot of concerns with Vegas this year. And Josh Jacobs, I'm just fading at cost right now. I mean, I'll own some because, again, right. diversification. but. I'm not going to be going in my way to draft him. 
Yeah, he's going to be like a 4% guy for me. And also, let's just say, I mean, Josh Jacobs was arguably the best running back talent in the NFL last year. That's an outlier for him. Like we have three other seasons of Josh Jacobs being a, a fine NFL running back. But last year was the first time he's ever popped truly elite difference-making talent. Like his, his DeMarco Murray risk is like he scores like an 11 out of 10 on that scale. Jacob, are you in or out on Brees Hall? Who by all Super accounts, the, the, okay, Just clarify that a little in. bit. More in on Brees than any running back. Uh, in fantasy drafts. I, I mean, if Brees Hall did not tear his ACL, he, we would have talked about him 43 minutes ago about options to take at the 101. Yeah, yeah so, I agree on that. Like, and he had a clean ACL tear. It's not at all ruled out that he's going to be ready to rock by week one. They don't have any imposing backups. Maybe that changes. Maybe they signed Dalvin Cook. But for the moment, I think like Michael Carter, who got passed up by three separate running backs last year, Round five, 20 year old Izzy Abanacanda and UDFA Zonovan Knight. Like these guys are placeholder backs who might be able to fill in around the edges while Brees Hall's recovering. But as soon as Brees is Brees, and if that happens, then it's his show, baby. And we're drafting on Underdog. If we're drafting on FFBC, if we're drafting in the main event, you know, you can get running backs late this year. That's the other fun thing about Brees Hall. It's like it's not going to be that hard to find two startable running backs to get you through the first few weeks if you're struggling. And then why couldn't Brees Hall be the RB1 overall from weeks 10 through 18? So I, I think that's just a risk you you absolutely have to take in back end of round three. I think that's a great way of looking at it where you're looking at the season in segments. You're not so concerned. You know, you can get through, but when you have a healthy Brees Hall, he's already shown you a guy that could give you a 25 points per game over a three-week stretch. Billy, thoughts on Brees Hall right now at his current ADP? Yeah, I agree with Jacob here again. The the ceiling that you have for him down the stretch when it matters most is what we're is what we're you know drafting Brace Hall for. Again, if he had finished the season, he probably is my RB one based upon what he did last year. This offense in general, too, we look at the addition of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's not someone that's going to throw the ball six hundred times, right? People think he does, but he really doesn't. And so we we know how good this defense is slotted to be here in twenty twenty three as well. And so I think you could really put a big argument on the table that they're going to be a pretty run heavy offense down the stretch when, when they need to kind of give Aaron Rodgers a breath, a breath because he's probably gonna be a little bit more pass heavy in the beginning of the season as they get Brees Hall kind of up to speed and revamped in the offense coming off that injury. So I'm always, I'm also very in on Brees Hall. I think his upside is RB one inside this year, last year it was RB one. Right. And so he's just one of those guys that has, the skills to do it all and is going to be on an offense that is probably going to be utilizing him quite a bit down the stretch. So I, I like Brees Hall, especially at the cost. I think the other main argument, especially for people to draft volume is right now, it's not even July. Brees Hall will be, if, if he just stays healthy and the reports continue coming in, his ADP is going to rise. So you're getting a discount right now where he's going to definitely be inside the twenties in all these formats. If, as long as he's get it looking like a, a week one play. He's been one of the players like doing projections. It was like scarier. The first run, like I was very conservative with his injury and said, you know, four to six weeks, he'd be limited. So he's like RB 15, even missing that much time. And then as we saw positive reports, I started giving him more games and he's at RB one and it's still RB 11. And it still makes me nervous having him that low, mm-hmm. right? Because he has the ability to be RB one any given week, RB two, RB three. And so as the reports keep coming out of his progression, I still keep moving him up and up and up. And I still don't feel like it's high enough every time I adjust him up 
just because of his skill set. And the important thing is, like, if you think he's going to be RB11 for the season, you should be drafting him higher than RB11 because Correct. that's that's baking in him being a dud early. Yep. You can start other players, right? Like you can, you can start other players while he's dudding out. Running backs are quite affordable this year. Uh, and then, you know, he ramps up steam, right? There's guys, especially this year, there's guys late to pair so well with Brees Hall. You can take Brees Hall and Jamal Williams, right? Like Jamal Williams is probably going to mash the first few weeks of the season because you got Alvin Kamara is probably suspended. You know, you've got Henry Miller who hasn't even participated yet in an offseason practice. Like you can, you can get Jamal to like cosplay your third round running back for two, three weeks. And then Brees Hall's up to speed. And maybe you have a top five running back the rest of the way. P Ryan's another guy that probably gets off to a hot start. Exactly. Yeah, no, agree on that one. We, we like PRN a lot. I want to talk about this tier because it's an interesting one, and it seems like a, a drop-off from Brees Hall to this group of guys. Sure Najee does. Harris, Najee Harris, Jameer Gibbs, and a falling, falling, falling Travis Etienne. Uh, are we comfortable drafting one of these players with a wide receiver, wide receiver start, Jacob? I mean, it's pretty funny that Brees Hall is encroaching upon Jameer Gibbs' ADP because if you're willing to spend a three, four turn pick on a player that you absolutely know is going to probably be useless for the first month of the season. And then you're hoping to come on strong. You could just do that. But for a guy who's was like the best running back in the NFL last year. Um, anyway, um, no, I'm not been drafting much of the guys in this tier. Uh, Najee Harris, like his base projection is probably a fine price, but he sucks, man. Like I, like he's just, Najee Harris has not produced any evidence in college or in the NFL that he's a particularly efficient or value-adding rusher. And last year, he showed us that he wasn't even particularly a value-adding receiver out of the backfield. And there has never been a year where it is cheaper to draft plausible three-down workhorses on projected volume alone. So it's, it's hard for me to justify spending a round three, four turn pick on Najee Harris in an economy where you can get Damian Pierce's and Alexander Madison's and Cam Akers for pennies off the street. And then, you know, ETN and Gibbs, the ceiling certainly appeals to me. I, I just think it's thin. I, I just think like it's, it would not surprise me if one of these running backs ends up being a guy that you really need to draft and, and anything. I think picking which one, probably one of the most important decisions you can make in fantasy this year. But I, I think, I, I think more often than not, you're, you're spending a, a luxury pick on Gibbs and ETN that you're going to deeply regret in the economy of 2023 wide receiver scarcity. Billy, of these three, uh, who are you on the most? And I'll, and I'll say an interesting thing about Harris was like Jalen Warren is kind of a thing. And we saw the receiving go from 74 to 41, like you referenced, Jacob. And, and, and we saw Warren with 28 receptions last year. So I don't know, like people with the argument being, Last year was the first year without Big Ben. The the receptions will go up for Harris again this year and get a little bit closer to year one. I don't see it. I think he kind of is what he is. Billy, which of these three are you most bullish on? Are you excited about any of them? It's actually funny. I'm, I'm opposite on Jacob on this one. I actually like Najee this year. Um, we look at, I mean, he was, he's been, he hasn't been like productive, but the volume is there, right? Sure and, and, and so it's the volume for me that I'm after, especially when you look at what the Steelers did in this draft. They went out and got Roderick Jones in round one, who was one of the best offensive tackles in the draft. They went out and got Darnell Washington, who's a blocking tight end. They spent another pick on Spencer Anderson for the offensive line. So they really bolstered this offensive line, which in my opinion is going to help Najee because 
He was constantly being tackled at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage last year. He was not efficient by any means. He has not been efficient in his first two years. He's actually averaged under 4.4 yards per carry, both in 2021 and in 2022. But when you're getting 300 rushing attempts, 270 when he had his foot injury last year, they were still using him through the injury to this to this magnitude of, of touches. And I know we saw a dip in the passing game last year, like you just said, Theo, from 71 or 74 to 41. Nonetheless, the offense had some, I guess, hiccups and and it took time for them to find themselves. I think we can expect this offense to be a little bit more efficient this year. We expect them to have more time with the offensive line. I think we're going to see a little bit more positive game scripts for them. Uh, and that's going to that's going to benefit Najee. And to talk about them, you know, it'd make them even more efficient, not giving <laughs> touches to Najee Harris. Yeah. Um, bottom line is he's had 10 touchdowns every year. Right. And so I think if we can bake in his 10 touchdowns, close to 300 rushing attempts, whether we think the guy is good or not, that type of volume, it's hard to ignore. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. Volume is king in fantasy. And whether we like a player or not, we can't ignore the volume. I am I mean, drafting this, a lot of Jalen Warren, Gus. Because also uh, Najee Harris yeah. has played 17 games in consecutive seasons. And Billy, like you said earlier in the show, you don't project running backs to get 17 games. I think that uh, I almost prefer drafting Warren. Like, you know, he's starting to creep up a little bit. But there's a lot of outcomes where the volume catches up with you, Billy. It yeah. catches up to everybody. I mean, I'm like, I think I bet two years does project well. Like, it doesn't surprise me that Najee Harris projects well at all. I I think, like, I I just think he's kind of the prototypical classic dead zone pick where it's like you get a guy who nobody's very confident in the talent of, but the projectable volume looks really strong. And to me, it's like in most scenarios, he's like a mild win, you know, but but I, I just don't see the efficiency in this profile to where he's burying me. And I think that there's fragility risk of, you know, it's always injury risk. And then I, I just think there's, there's risk of him just being bad. Like I, I don't, I think like depending on 300 touches of Najee Harris is, is hoping coaches make suboptimal choices, which they probably will. You know, I, I'm not, I think Najee Harris will get a lot of touches. It's just, I don't, I don't like, I don't know. You only get so many picks and I'm just not sure that I want to spend my precious capital on, on a guy that I don't really fear you're burying me i am on jameer gibbs guys i think that he's gonna flirt with like christian mccaffrey rookie year numbers i wish he was being drafted a little lower than christian like McCaffrey rookie year that great it's fit you know let's let's put it like this i i'm looking at i'm chasing the receiving upside and mccaffrey did give us 80 receptions and i think that detroit offense is going to be hypercharged this year and i think gibbs will be a big part of it so i'm chasing that i think he's going to flirt with some of these historically good uh rookie reception numbers so I'm I'm excited about it, but I agree that this tier yeah. is not as exciting as the as the earlier tier. It was RB twelve his rookie year. RB twelve, yeah, okay. and I and I think Which that is like good at, from yeah. a three four turn pick, but it's not. That's I, that's the thing with Gibbs, I, man. The difference is I mean, I'm all in on Gibbs. I'm all in on Gibbs and Dynasty, and and honestly, once I get into FFPC season more, I might get more into Gibbs. I've I've almost exclusively been drafting on underdog. I think its price is just bananas for half PPR. Um. But, but and I will FPC push back the best ball. PPR, I'm I'm more interested. Yeah, but best ball, like the one thing I'll say with the even though it's the half point PPR is you don't have to worry about an annoying Montgomery week. You just sit back and enjoy the profits. Yeah. And it's you know, so I I'm I'm in on Gibbs. I think we all agree he's a talent. Um, one yeah, guy that's the biggest riser 
like in terms of what we saw around the NFL draft and early, early best balls, early, early FFPC drafts is Joe Mixon. Yeah. Has it been an overcorrection here, Billy? Because I know you're big on Mixon, but Mixon's starting to flirt with that third round now. You're talking about a guy who's he was such a discount. Everyone was head over heels with Joe Mixon's sixth round. But now you're talking about Joe Mixon starting to flirt with the third. Are you still big time in? No, we talked about this happening as as there was uncertainty at the beginning of the year. We told people to capitalize on the uncertainty, take the risk, and go for Joe Mixon in round six. Round three, I'm out, right? This is where um there's still the same risk still is is it's still present. It's just not as likely now. But we still have to consider that risk. And in round three, that's where I'm kind of ba- I'm priced out now. If if it was you know four or five turn, I'd still be interested. Round six, I take it all day still. But those prices are gone. But there's there's other pieces in this offense too. I mean, I like Chase Brown. There's there's things that I I think that I could see Mixon taking less less workload, even though they lost Maj Ryan. I, I'm just not convinced that Mixon is in the clear yet. Jacob yeah. out. Um, if it gets up to round three, I would be out. Like Billy said, um, I, like I said, I've mostly been on the underdog streets. He's still hanging out in round five there. So I've still been just filling out my mix and bags. I would like him to keep rising. I, I don't ever get up in the morning and look forward to drafting Joe Mixon. I don't like being a Mixon guy. I've never been a Mixon guy. Uh, I haven't enjoyed drafting like 15% Joe Mixon this year, but his, his price in, in round four or five just doesn't make any sense. Like he, he, he was a round two pick last year. He was a hit as a round two pick last year and his situation has arguably gotten better in that the guy who played all the third downs is gone. So, you know, I think it's fine. We just talked about Najee Harris. I mean, what's the difference between Joe Mixon and Najee Harris other than Joe Mixon's in a better offense? Like they're both not overly efficient. They're both probably splitting some aspect of the receiving work, although they get targets when they are on the field. I think they're kind of just the same guy except Joe Mixon plays for the Bengals. So I expect him to have a higher chance of getting 15 touchdowns than, than I would Najee Harris. Career high receptions last year, too, for, for Mixon, guys. I, we're hitting uh, an hour here. we got to start ripping through a couple of these. On the clock here, very quickly, uh, Jacob, would you rather have fifth-round Ken Walker or eighth-round Zach Charbonnet? Um, neither is okay to say, too. Neither. Ken Billy. Walker, round five. Ken Walker, I'll say neither, because I think it's there's a convergence here. Eventually, by the end of the summer, the one will be of value for me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on both right now. On the clock, Jacob, fourth round Aaron Jones, or suddenly kind of intriguing ninth round AJ Dillon. Um, again, it's usually neither, but I'd probably go with Aaron Jones. Billy, Aaron Jones, he's gonna be involved in the passing game. Have yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a yearly sucker for AJ Dillon, and I'm I'm ready to get hurt again. Speaking of hurt again, guys. Is this the year for J.K. Dobbins? Yes or yes. no? Are you in on J.K. Dobbins? Okay, Jacob, you're in. Extraordinarily in on J.K. Dobbins. That was one of the guys I featured. Uh, he's had three problems. He's had injury problems. By all counts, should be healthy and ready to rock this year. He's had backfield deployment problems, and he's had pass game usage problems. Uh, he's been 16, 18, and 16%. has been the running back target rate of Greg Roman's Baltimore offense the last three years. Playing with certainly no one was mistaken for Lamar Jackson, but a mobile adjacent quarterback in Stetson Bennett the last three years in the Georgia offense. Todd Monken's been 23%, 19%, 19% in terms of running back target rate. We've seen him create actual ADOT throws down the field. Kenny McIntosh for James Cook with creative usage. And, and most of all, 
I, we've seen when Todd Monken was in Cleveland, um, he wasn't the play caller there, but he was the offensive coordinator there. That's the only time that Nick Chubb has not come off the field repeatedly on every single third down and two minute drill. Those first eight games of the season before Kareem Hunt came off the suspension, he had a saw career high in targets, receptions, and yards that season. They used him as a true every down back. I don't expect J.K. Dobbins to see 60, 70 catches. Not going to happen with Lamar Jackson. But if he's no longer subbing off for Justice Hill on passing downs, he's staying on the field for two-minute drills, he can get two, two-and-a-half catches. I think Baltimore offense is going to be fantastic this year. They actually have real weapons around Lamar Jackson. J.K. Dobbins has always been an extraordinarily efficient runner. Um, since rush yards over expectation per attempt was created by next-gen stats, only four guys have had two seasons above one rush yard over expectation per attempt. That's uh, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, and it's J.K. Dobbins. Uh, the dude can ball, and, and I think he's in a fantastic spot at a really affordable price tag. Ditto everything that he just said, except I want to just ask, did you say 60 receptions? No, I said he's not going to get He said he's okay. not. He said he's not. to say, hold up, hold up. Okay. Yeah, okay, no, great. no, I said he's not going to get that. I said I said I was hoping for two to two and a half per game would be okay, that's really, yeah. okay, what that's I expect him to do on the ground. Perfect. Love, yeah. I love, so, love Dobbins. To 40. Love Dobbins. We're all in agreement. Go draft J.K. Dobbins, everyone. Um, Want to go quick lightning round here. The sixth round has suddenly become a running back round. I have two players I'd like to get a little context on. But of the, this group, who are you most in on? Damian Pierce, Alexander Madison, DeAndre Swift, Rashad White, Dalvin Cook, without knowing the team situation, or David Montgomery? You can say none, too, Jacob. You're making sick by this question. I'm deeply underweight almost all of these guys, but if I was to pick one in a managed format, I'm probably taking Damian Pierce because he's the guy I think is the most talented of the bunch. Billy. Oh, man. This is the... I, I think I lean Rashad White just to the involvement in the passing game. We're probably going to see another 50 to 60 uh, receptions. And so I think... That's where I lean. I think you can make a real case for David Montgomery as well, just because, again, good offensive line, probably going to utilize him in the same fashion we saw Jamal Williams last year. I don't expect that touchdown upside that we saw last year from Jamal Williams, but I do expect them to see uh, quite a bit of usage in the red zone, and we got to like what the Lions are doing on offense overall, and so I think that he is going to outproduce expectations at his current price. And Montgomery yeah. and Swift are both guys that I like more in a best ball format than in a managed format. Just yeah. um, throwing that out there. I just I think that both are are going to have some spike weeks, but I, I foresee in my future that if I take either Swift or Montgomery in a managed league, there will be weeks that he's on my bench scoring 25, then he's in my lineup, he's scoring seven. I, I think he, it'll be a, a trickier guesswork in terms of the game script for those guys and where the touchdowns go. Yeah, I like Swift a lot. I can understand your argument, but I do think contingent upside has to play a, a role in yeah. that offense. If there's yeah. a running back goes down and DeAndre Swift gets eight starts, then, you know, toward down the stretch, I mean, you're rolling because he's tremendous talent and we've actually seen it. I like Rashad White a lot as well. Uh, I want to talk about this this tier. It's this Miles Sanders, Cam Akers little group here where both of them are kind of aligning where they've separated from the guys I just mentioned. There's a lot of steam right now for Akers, and I think Miles Sanders has also his backers based on the potential that he's going to get back to being utilized as a pass-catching weapon. Are we in on either of these two, Jacob? Never been as out on anyone as I'm out on Miles Sanders. Uh, Every running back is too cheap except for Miles Sanders for like eight rounds. Um, Dead last in the NFL in yards per out run, and all of a sudden he's going to be a pass-catching specialist. I I have my doubts. Uh, I think if they try to use him as a pass-catcher, they will be reminded – 
why his previous team no longer wished to retain his services. Um, I think he'll be a fine rusher. I also think that I think that he is a useful NFL rusher. I don't think that he owns his efficiency to a high degree. I think that he played behind the best offensive line in the NFL for his whole NFL career to this point. He played with a mobile quarterback, and he didn't have to make a lot of decisions. Jalen Hurts was making the decision. He was reading the linebacker, handing off the Miles Sanders, point, go that way, and run fast. I I think that's what he does best. I think he's going to struggle in Carolina in more negative game scripts where he's he's having to carry more of the workload himself. I, I just don't think he's a natural runner. Um, yeah, very just extraordinarily out on Miles Sanders. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm in, um, on Cam Akers, but I'm at least mildly intrigued by Cam I think, Akers. I think I'm in on Cam Akers in the sixth round and I've never been an Akers guy, but I think it's kind of aligning for him to be like second fiddle to Cooper cup. And I think that he's going to be a, you know, get, get the ball until, until he falls apart kind of guy for that Rams team with not a whole lot behind them. Billy, uh, your quick thoughts on these two guys. Yeah, I have not never been a Cam Akers fan, but this year I'm in just because it they don't have a lot of weapons in this offense this year, right? It's it's pretty ugly at the wide receiver two spot. Uh, we can expect probably Higby to be the number two option in the passing game. I think Akers, the same could be said in the backfield between um, the rest of the folks back there. And so Cam Akers probably in line for a pretty pretty massive workload here in 2023. I think this would be the first year he goes over 200 rushing attempts pretty easily. Uh, as long as he stays healthy and doesn't piss off McVeigh again. But I think we're in a pretty good spot for him to, to succeed in 2023. It's hard to argue as much as I would like to, because I'm not a big Cam Akers talent believer, but it's hard to argue with a round two pick who in his last NFL game saw 100% of the snaps going in <laughs> round six. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, quickly, yes or no, in or out on James Conner in the seventh round? Fuck yeah. Billy Rizzio. Yeah. Yeah, like when I redid the projections after Hopkins left, I kind of was grossed out with how far Connor moved up. But I was like, "Eh, I could see it happening. Kind of like it. So I left it there. So I'm I'm in on Connor this year again. Yeah, he's low key uh, a good bet to lead all running backs in touches for the first month of the of the season. I don't know how it's going to end for Connor, but I do know you're going to get a very fast start. Guys, I want to go quick, quick lightning round here. Seventh round. Your favorite pick among Isaiah Pacheco, James Cook, or taking a chance on Javante Williams coming off of an injury? Call this a seventh, eighth round. Cook. Um, I'll I'll take Javante and manage. I'll just stick him on the bench for a month and then see what we get. I'm going Cook. And OTC here, let's stick in the Buffalo backfield. Do you prefer at ADP Damian Harris or James Cook? Start with Jacob. Uh, Damian Harris in best ball, James Cook and managed. Billy. Both. I'll double tap him on the ends. Nice. James Cook, and I will say that that <laughs> Mike Mike Shope, the voice of the Buffalo Bills on the deep end, is on Damian Harris, and he's usually really, really good with Buffalo Bills. Great fantasy guy. Actually, a bare knuckles drafter, which those guys are like the true sickos. So he's big <laughs> on Damian Harris, so we've had some, some good arguments on that one. OTC guys, Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson? Who leads Washington in running back uh, PPR points this year, Jacobson. I think that in most scenarios, Brian Robinson leads them in PPR points, but I am drafting Antonio Gibson. And it's the same as the Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson scenario from last year to me, where Damian Harris, I think 60% of scenarios scores more points. But if, if Robinson gets hurt, Gibson's an absolute smash. If Gibson gets hurt, Brian Robinson's Brian Robinson. Billy. Yeah, it's pretty easily Gibson for me, just the involvement in the passing game. Like, Robinson is just going to run the ball 20 times for 40 yards. 
Gibson for me, Nelson Sousa, who we had on first class fantasy, one of the best drafters in the country, really likes Brian Robinson, was the only reason that I even want to want to pivot off of it. But it's uh, Antonio Gibson for me. Chicago. Nelson hasn't peed in the cup since we sent it to him after that take, by the way. Yeah, we, he, he, definitely, he definitely was, uh, you know, he definitely might have misread, misread the show oh, notes or something God. like that. Guys, Khalil Herbert, Deonta Foreman, or Roshan Johnson, who leads the Chicago backfield in scoring this year? Start with Billy, because I just deflated Jacob with yeah. that question. It's going to be Khalil Herbert, in my opinion, just because we he was even... He was good when David Montgomery was on the team. Like at one point, he was RB seven in total rush yards uh, last year. I think that Foreman and Roshan are going to compete for the same job function. And I think that Herbert probably is the outlier of these three with kind of a a, a separate role. Uh, Billy, you're still out to be a player profiler while saying Khalil Herbert is better than Roshan Johnson. I, yes. I thought that was part of the censured after censored after. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, if he, long time. If anyone's been reading me a player profiler, they know I'm an OG Khalil Herbert truther. There's no other option. Love that guy. Yeah, it's probably Khalil. I'm intrigued by Roshan because I think that he's got you know the he's the highest drafted among among the three, yeah. and Deonta Foreman's older, and I don't think there's any loyalty with this coaching staff with Khalil Herbert, but the talent certainly is there. I'll give uh, this to Roshan. He's the only one that can be a three down back. Khalil Herbert is never playing on pass. Correct. Back. Yeah. Uh, at ADP. Right now, who is your favorite New Orleans Saints running back to draft? Jacob, I think you answered this early. Um, all of them is my actual answer. Um, I think it's just really great to be able to take shots on, you know, I, I want, if I'm in a managing right now, I want two in every draft. Um, all of them over 180 feet. But uh, depends on the team. Jamal, if I'm doing a zero RB team. Kamara, if I like my running backs early. Billy. Jamal Williams for me. Or you could even say it's going to be Taysom Hill since he's not really a tight end, but... I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's Jamal. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to skip Miami, guys. I think, uh, you know, there's too much uncertainty right now, but I do want to get this. Wilson. Draft your Jeff Wilson guy, Jacob? Yeah, he is. he played more snaps in five out of six games than Raheem Mostert when they were both healthy. He was more efficient by rush yards over expected. He got more money, and Mostert's drafted ahead of him for, I don't know, uh, if Devin A. Chain is replacing one of them, it's probably more likely to be Mostert. Um that would be the smallest running back committee of all time if it was just Mostert and A-Chain getting all the carries. So uh, I think that Jeff Wilson's their starting running back. I think he's going to lead the team in PPR points and is being drafted at like 180. I think we do see Dalvin Cook in Miami. I think it happens, and I think this is uh, – I've liked A-Chain, but I think this is all – it's all moot. It's going to be Dalvin. Billy, uh, of the Miami running backs that are there now, are you interested in any of them? I'll take a dart throw with a chain for the upside in the passing game. Fun one here, guys. 10th round is where we start seeing handcuffs. Three of the more buzzworthy handcuffs right now are Jalen Warren, Tank Bigsby, and Elijah Mitchell. Which of these three has the most contingent upside if the starter goes down? It's Tank. Uh, that's that's going to be the guy I think that can contribute on all three downs and plays in a really great offense. Billy. It's Elijah Mitchell with contingent upside, but he's also going to get hurt. So it doesn't, it's a mute point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is probably tank. I think that I think I agree with Jacob on that one. And yeah, I think you're right. You're right, Billy. And I think it, it's, it's if, if CMC goes down, I think you would see a mix of, uh, you know, maybe little Jordan Mason. We'll sneak preview for another question. TDP. Uh, pick a pick a handcuff, guys. These three players all have similar ADPs right now. Ty J Spears, Jerome Ford. Tyler Algier or Devin Singletary. They're in their neck and neck. Which one do you want? 
Um, I will take Tyler Algier. We've already seen proof of concept that if B. John Robinson went down, you're starting every single week. This was tough because I actually have a lot of ownership between Jerome Ford and Devin Singletary this year. Uh, I'm going to lean upside here with Jerome Ford based upon contingent value as well. Do give love me a, Jerome Ford. Give me a little Tajay Spears. I saw 12th round Jerome Ford in a 350 FFPC draft. I think we might be jumping the shark right now when he yeah, starts. Jerome Ford has become a meme, but he was so yeah. fun in the 18th round like a month ago. The yeah. less you see about your less you see him on the field, the higher the ADP goes. It's the weirdest thing yeah. ever. Tajay 12th round for, to match his 12 career rushing yards. That's it. That's it. And then. Guys, here's a sicko question. So turn off if you're offended by deep running back questions, guys. No. Who is your favorite third string running back? Um, guys that you're intrigued with that could have a fantasy impact this year. Start with Billy Muzio there. This one, I don't know if it's technically cheating because you could argue he's second, but I, I, he might be third. It depends on how you look at the scenario, but I'm going to say Ty Chandler. I uh, just love the speed. I think he's in a good scenario. I not. He's the number two, Billy. <laughs> I mean, people. Yeah, people that have, seems like cheating. That's a cop out. <laughs> that's a cheat. We're going to come back to you, Billy. We're going to come back to you, Jacob. <laughs> Man, so, it's so hard because all of these questions to me are guys that are like, are they the two? Are they the three? I don't know. Um, okay, here's the gross we're one. Like probably, Rogan debate this is a really, really gross one that's probably the three, but um, I'll, I'll take Isaiah Spiller. <laughs> we just talked about. Uh, Austin Eckler being old and then still needing a guy. And Josh Kelly's the worst running back I've ever seen in my life. I'll throw out two that are interesting to me. I'm and uh, Kenneth Gainwell, who technically oh, could be like answer. a quasi yeah, backup, is, but he's actually their best running back. Kenneth Gainwell, year three, Kenneth Gainwell. Um, and then Jordan Mason, because you guys, we talked about Christian McCaffrey, we talked about Elijah Mitchell. They both get hurt. Jordan Mason's on my roster. I win all the money. Um, is Keontae J- Ingram the three? Can't take the two. two. He's the two. He's the hold two. up, hold up. According to FFPC, Dwayne McBride is going ahead of Ty Chandler by 50 draft spots. It's rookie take lock. It's so I am lock. right with my RB3. So I'm sticking you know, with you know who's the who's, you know who's really the best RB3 is Leonard Fournette. There you go. And there we go. This, <laughs> or, this is a great way to end here, guys. Who yeah. is going to score the most PPR points in 2023? Leonard Fournette. Zeke Elliott or Kareem Hunt? Uh, Kareem Hunt is not going to play in the NFL this season. Zeke Elliott is a fullback, and Leonard Fournette catches passes. Hold up. Why don't you think he's going to play in the NFL? You can't go out like that. Uh, I think that there's, there's currently four free agent running backs, right? Dalvin Cook is probably the best of them, although I think he's pretty washed. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is an excellent mascot who is beloved by NFL players and coaches, despite not being good at football anymore. And then if your choice is like two washed up dusty running backs for the third spot here, we have Lombardi, Lenny Fournette, or Kareem Hunt. I, my take is you can have problematic character concerns and be good and be employed in the NFL. You cannot have problematic character concerns and be bad and be employed in the NFL. So I, I think we're going to have to get way down the list of injuries in week eight before Kareem Hunt signs a contract. I mean, they're already talking about signing him in Washington, though. Yes, Kareem Hunt in Washington. The rumor yeah, is out there right now. Oh, that's enemy. disgusting. So it's. Oh, I, I think he might no, be the first we'll to sign out of this group. The oh, enemy, the so enemy, Kareem Hunt connection. And Jacob, Correct. we totally oh, misrepresented that. We misrepresented the showtime. This has been such a fun time that we went. We're nearly at an <laughs> oh, hour twenty. Going. Yeah, we're at an hour twenty. Trying to keep it tight here, guys. Um, Jacob, tell this was awesome. You really, really brought it today. Let everybody know where they can find the Substack and anything you have coming out. Yeah, you can find all my written work, Thinking About Thinking. That's 
Substack.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Sanderson. Uh, you can find my podcasting form in addition to my guest appearances here at uh, the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast. Um, so certainly uh, a lot of stuff going on. We'll be doing more work on best ball stuff and we'll be getting into some FFBC stuff probably closer into August for sure. So That's super awesome. fun, guys. And Billy, you uh, have a very fun guest on The Dominator, my friend yep. Andrew Cooper, who is the, the Matt Harmon nice. of tight ends. Yeah, Coop's coming on. We're going to talk a little FSGA draft uh, about how somehow I got Cooper Cup at the 14 hole. And then we're going to talk about how we almost got kicked out of the casino in um, Cleveland. <laughs> and we're, we're just going to have some fun. It's going to be it's going to be a good show. I'm excited to talk with him. Yeah, highly recommend uh, Andrew Cooper as a follow. I think he's unbelievably mm-hmm. sharp, especially when it comes awesome. to tight ends. One of the best tight end guys in, in the industry. And then I have a new podcast starting next week here on Player Profiler. Uh, my first guest is Adam Levitan. It's press coverage. It's my solo Ooh. pod. Still find nice. me on Sonic Truth. Still find me here with Billy. We have Andrew Erickson next week, Billy. We're, we're rolling out good guests every nice. single week here on First Class Fantasy. Jacob, thanks for joining us, and everybody have a, a great rest of your day. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.